0: welcome to transform now the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer SSNC Blue prism digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers engage their employees and manage their operations whether you're looking to develop strategies tactics or best practices to positively impact the future of work or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Brad Hairston with SSC Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I'm privileged to have as my guest, Jesse Tutt, Program Director of Intelligent Automation at Alberta Health Services, a Blue Prism customer. Jesse and I will be talking about Alberta Health's automation journey, including how they leveraged process mining to advance their automation program and benefits. Welcome, Jesse. Why don't you start us off with an introduction? Thanks, Brad.
2: Yeah, my name is Jesse Tut, and I'm the uh, Program Director of the IT Intelligent Automation Center of Expertise at Alberta Health Services. Been with AHS for 15 years, been in IT for 21, and I actually have a, a, a software development and a digital marketing background as well. I think I've got, I'm on my fourth startup right now, and so do serial entrepreneurship and, uh, Yeah, I've been, my background is really based on finding technical solutions to business problems. So I started off my career on the technology side, learned software development. And then most recently have extended that from analytics and then jumped down into automation for the last few years.
1: And Jesse, you told me that you live like right between Calgary and Edmonton. So which one do you root for in hockey? I'd have to say my father actually played with Lanny McDonald way
2: back when he was young from the Calgary Flames, of course, but I do side with the the Oilers.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Probably (laughs) probably good for your career progression, I would assume. (laughs) (laughs) So for those not familiar with Alberta Health Services, why don't you tell us more about your organization?
2: Sure, Alberta Health Services is uh, one of, if not the largest company in Canada. We have about 180,000 users. 127,000 staff, 2,700 people that work for IT in the area of, and uh, you know, 6,000 servers and 90, probably over a hundred thousand computers. And so the depth and breadth of the problems that we face is definitely an interesting one, which has made the job extremely challenging and the with this much people and systems and all that other stuff, tons of opportunity for automation and so uh, yeah, yeah, that's a bit of background about the organization located in Alberta we provide healthcare to around 4.4 or 4.5 million people and
1: government funded great thank you for that background and Jesse you've been there it looks like about 15 years where did your career start there and then how did it evolve into your current role you know leading intelligent automation would love to hear about that
2: Sure. So yeah, prior to HS, I was focused on technology stack. When I joined HS, I was just coming off of a consulting job, and uh, moved and joined the Alberta Health Services as a technical architect. Worked with the great group to co-design the email system, and then we I moved into a project management role, migrating ten of the nineteen companies that we merged together onto the new email system. Um, then I did some uh, project management, helping to design the Active Directory, the kind of a lot of technology stuff. Then I moved underneath the CTO, helping him to to, with the business management or the business processes within the technology stack. There's around 800 people in who report to the CTO. So yeah, shifted from that job, started to measure the technology stack a lot more and through that moved into an analytics role where ultimately I was ingesting data from around 300 different enterprise systems. And uh, we had around 200 different dashboards. We use Tableau and H S. Uh, a visualization so yeah basically that that was actually what the, all of that data and access to those systems allowed us to identify a lot of different business areas that needed focus and we would talk to the service owners and identify gaps and naturally, they'd say hey like we, we're crazy busy here we don't have capacity and so <laughs> that's really what triggered the investment in robotic process automation uh we basically invested in it and that the with the idea of helping the service owners in IT first, and now we've transitioned to helping the entire organization kick off that, their automation journey.
1: Mm. It seems like your experience across all those areas, lots of integrations, lots of systems, lots of APIs, mm-hmm. uh, probably gave you a, gr- I mean, a, a great appreciation for what automation could do. And so it wasn't, you didn't have to be convinced <laughs> to come over and lead the charge on this front. That's right. Yeah,
2: yeah, and the, and really, uh, I was giggle when I talk about automation because we've been doing automation for since the beginning, since the mm-hmm. onset of the organization. So, right, like we've been, we've had, I think RPA in our organization doing some historic solutions that basically do RPA way back, probably fifteen twenty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's just been the recent times that we've had mature capabilities. So.
1: Okay. Your automation journey is relatively young, but you guys have already created a really impressive trajectory in in a pretty short time frame. Why don't you tell us what the journey has looked like to date?
2: Sure. Yeah. So in October of 2021, we had a review across the government. Naturally, with oil prices down, the government was looking for opportunities to save money. And so they did a massive review, identified around 100 different ideas, two of which were implementing a brand new automation program. So in December, we got that initiative kicked off of 2021. And then basically, which was a year and almost two years ago. Now in January, we, about a month and a half after the program got kicked off, we did an RFP, awarded it to to Blue Prism and within weeks, we actually had our first automation launched, I think it was three or four weeks. So since then we've kind of, kind of catapulted, uh, started with four people. Now we have 17 and we just got approved for another four people, but we've got a contractor. We've got six students. My team has actually been heavily, uh, ratioed, uh, for temporary resources, um, mm-hmm. just because of cost pressures. And secondly, wanting to make sure that we had, we're, we're proving strong value. So mm-hmm. we have, uh, six students. We have three casuals, six full timers lead, and then some other, uh, supporting resources, uh, which we were, we super fortunate for. Mm-hmm. We have a six Sigma black belt process improvement, person who helps us, project manager. And then of course, various FT across the business. Our approach has been a little bit different than some where we've been really focused on making sure that all of the different automations that we do are business-driven. So mm-hmm. for each department that we onboard, for example, finance or IT, um, you know, typical, most of these departments have thousands of people that report to them. The department head is in, intuitively the sponsor of that the automation program in the context of their department. And so we work with them to assign an automation champion who works with us to actually, number one, collect automation opportunities, track them, and secondly, escalate any type of OCM or other escalations and found that model really works well, number one, to reduce that demand on the CUE, and secondly, to make sure that the business is actually pushing the initiatives that make sense for them to the point that the the automation opportunities that are collected by the departments are actually prioritized by them, collected by them, prioritized by them, typically at the leadership director kind of level. And then they submit them to the automation governance committee. And all of that process happens without my team even being engaged, which mm. is the sweet spot, I think, because we know that by the time of the business comes up with an idea, they say that it's a priority. They submit it to the governance committee. Governance committee says that it's a priority. Of course we should be working on it. You know what I mean? So yeah, we found that model to work really well. And as a result, we have quite a few different people that are helping us, or not us, but actually helping the organization move along the automation program, but from within IT and the business.
1: Wow. That's, that is really fascinating. You know, I just, I just did a podcast with one of the advisory firms that did a survey uh, Mm -hmm. on of many companies that are doing automation and one of their top problems was just knowing what to automate you know where where the ideas come from how do they uncover the next big wave of automation opportunities and that that's really interesting that you guys uh you seem to have really good ideation flowing in from the business which is where it where it should come from so that's neat I also want to go back to something you said about using students. That's really fascinating. So are these are these college students that are doing this part-time? You're just leveraging them to learn a skill and also help your company?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in Alberta, naturally, and frankly, with most universities, you have to do a practicum. Fortunately, we have quite a few different universities in Alberta, at least, and a few of them that are from other provinces, which in our case are states. They offer two practicums consecutively in most cases. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we're able to actually leverage a student for an eight-month period, and that eight-month mm-hmm. period allows us to to train the person for a month, uh, which is right. practically how long it takes, but how can to have you kind of go through the flow and get them onboarded and oriented, mm-hmm. and then get seven months of value out of them. And oftentimes, you know, if the student is is a great candidate then move them into a casual role with the hope, of course, finding them a permanent position. Hmm. And so I think a lot of organizations, they jump to, to potentially too high of a ratio of senior automation developers. And I think that model of having a junior automation developer that can work on objects and work on doing a lot of nitty gritty work and then having potentially an intermediate automation developer who looks at the automation level and Mm -hmm. then presumably as time progresses, as you mature moving into that senior automation developer role where you've got people that are actually working on automations across portfolio and optimizing yeah. them and making sure that they're designed to, for proper use and doing a lot of the the more senior functions like you know code auditing and whatnot
1: yeah i i think that's such a great approach it's giving those students such an incredible skill set that is, is it, immediately practical in in the business setting and the demand for that skill set is so high right now so uh, i think that's really great that you guys are doing that and also i agree it's beneficial to your organization going forward jesse let's talk about process mining or process intelligence when did this come into the picture
2: for your program sure we just started moving in that direction this year so the the short of it is is that Certainly, the automation champions are doing a good job collecting automation opportunities. You know, finance, for example, I think they've got around a hundred different automation opportunities that they've identified. On the flip side, some of the departments have had challenges. And to be frank, it really depends on, number one, the executive sponsorship at the department head level. Number two, the, the skill set of the automation champion. If you get an automation champion that's not you know, kind of that senior level that can speak to kind of the director level, speak to the manager level, speak to the staff level, which takes a specific kind of person, it can be challenging. And so we were looking for number one, a way to actually find automations in, in areas that potentially are cross system or cross, I mean, a lot of different business areas they are like, oh, just go meet with the staff and go meet with the managers, go Mm -hmm. meet with the directors, which, which we are doing to a certain extent, but in context, I mean. We have 127,000 staff, like actually feasibly sending in an email to every single one of them and saying, Hey, send me your ideas. We would be flooded. All we would be doing is like taking right. the opportunity and like adding mm-hmm. it to Excel document. We wouldn't have time to actually do the analysis to figure out which ones were best. So right. that notion of programmatically going back to the, the, all the analytics that my team has done basically historically, we wanted to move to a more data-driven approach. Uh, and I think that's the sweet spot uh, of having. Number one, the ability to actually look at uh, opportunities at a macro level, whether it's process improvement or whether it's automation, uh, mm-hmm. because ultimately the, that tool allows you to do both. Number two, prioritizing automation. So the second biggest challenge on top of finding them is how big are they? Like, wh- where's the scaling? What's the return on investment? And all of those calculations are driven from one number, how long it takes you to do that darn task manually. And right. so as we uh, have gone through the process, There have been automations that we've been told it takes five minutes. We work and feverishly get the automation in and upon, you know, maybe two or three months after the fact, we start to look at the process that's been identified, both the one that was requested, which may have been five minutes and the one that we actually built, which, you know, due to scope changes and all this stuff Mm -hmm. may have reduced. But the, the point is that the capture tool, which is amazing, which we do for every automation tells you what it is great for what you know, but it doesn't tell you anything about what you don't know. And that end-to-end process is pretty key. And so that understanding that exact queue item duration is key. And secondly, knowing not just the manual effort that it takes to complete the task, but knowing how long the task takes duration-wise, you don't get accurate data simply uh, mm-hmm. from asking someone, or maybe even doing a capture once or twice, or maybe even 10 or 15 times because the in, intuitively, whenever you ask a manager, Hey, how long does it take? Who do they call? Usually mm-hmm. it's the number one person. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're, they're yeah. the creme de la creme and you get a, a duration that might be five minutes. And, but if you look at the average of the team, it might be 10 minutes because everyone else mm-hmm. may not be as fast as that level five person. So the these are all kind of things that demand data and there's no other way to get it. Yeah, I mean, we got to find automations more quickly. So then we prioritize the ones that are, that are, have a, a really strong return on investment. And the only way to do that is to know that, uh, that queue item duration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Jesse, tell me about your approach with process intelligence. Where did you guys apply it right from the beginning? So we started, uh, with Oracle financials. Uh, okay. So
2: Oracle financials is the system we use for financial management, both on the supply chain, the finance team, like every team interacts with that system. Mm-hmm. So we thought that would be a good candidate. We ended up doing loaded in, I think three months of data for mm-hmm specifically the purchase rack to purchase order to invoice, uh, to invoice paid process and dumped it all out, which triggered a series of meetings. And all of those meetings, after we looked at all the data and had conversations with the business, we identified 15 opportunities. Um, so it was, it was definitely added value and it also led to some constraints. So like, Hey, you gotta make sure you gotta uh, you need to know your data. Number one, you have to get access to it. And so the, all of those lessons learned now, we're moving to do a pilot now in ServiceNow now, uh, not pilot, but basically another assessment yeah. and um, yeah, it worked out well, I mean, uh, we were able to leverage the tool and, and yeah, we found there's a ton of excitement around what it can offer. And, yeah. and as we move into other enterprise systems, because, you know, we've got, I think 1800 or something like that, enterprise apps quickly filtering, Hey, which one has log files and we uh, mm-hmm. trying to get access to the data and. That's just for the for the Persis mining side. Once the task mining piece for more familiar, we're already talking about potentially using it for quite a few different automations. Yeah, and potentially, um, I I do think there's still value, like ultimately knowing the the steps in the process across systems, and secondly, just understanding the unproductive time, which is a, a key calculation in any type of TCO or ROI. But having the the task mining to be able to actually look for opportunities. Having right. captured to actually record the scope that we've all agreed upon. And then, secondly, uh, being able to actually look at it potentially six months after we implemented mm-hmm. and being able to validate, like, okay, so here's what the process was before. Here's what the process is now that we've automated, and then potentially even proposing enhancements as part of the tool. And so we're all very excited to get the ServiceNow data in and uh, start uh, yeah. working with the IT teams.
1: Yeah. And are you looking for task mining to address the? process steps that are kind of away from enterprise systems, some of the gaps that occur. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Jesse, do you see process intelligence becoming a fixture in your discovery process? Is this the new normal for your team? I assume you'll still continue to get ideas from the business through the the more routine methods, but just tell us what that looks like going forward. I think inevitably that
2: Every department, like will still collect automation opportunities from the business, but the difference is that we'll be feeding them BPPI data to trigger that discussion using mm-hmm. data. Far too often, you collect an automation opportunity, potentially the, the director may not know precisely what their staff are doing or the mm-hmm. math, or potentially the staff may not know what, would know what each other are doing. And mm-hmm. so you, you always have to have that skeptic lens for lack of a better way of saying it, but <laughs> being able to say like, okay, here, here's what the data is and at least triggering the discussion that way. And so, yeah, I don't see our process changing. I see other than having the BPPI data input that process.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesse, when you look at your program as a whole, what are some key success factors that you believed help it achieve such great results?
2: The primary one is executive sponsorship, mm-hmm. uh, which to be frank, aligns to the wrong. But if, you have, if you've got top-level organizational sponsorship Meaning at the CEO level, and I do actually think a program of this scale and uh, that will have this level of impact uh, needs that level of visibility. In our case, we actually have done some, our top governance committee presentations and having that level of sponsorship has allowed the resourcing, it's removed resistance. It's allowed the organization to actually become aware of this, this type of work that we're doing. And I think it's pretty key. Number two would be change management. So. We've mm-hmm. got a really great, strong organizational change management practice in HS, which we looked in and made sure that our comms were structured properly, that we had leadership presentations and staff templates and awareness campaigns. And for every automation, we have a, a, basically a project plan that breaks out the different types of communications that are required. And then enacting that automation champion to actually push the resistance back up to the leader and saying, Hey, like. This thing stuck, help us out. In a department of thousands of people, these top leaders are busy and to get a piece of their time is extremely important in any automation program. And if you don't have it business driven, it's difficult finding time with these people and resourcing a team that can even do that Mm -hmm. Um, full-time. Lastly is the ROM. And so I I literally reviewed all 100 documents that are in the ROM manually, 100% of them, downloaded them all, kind of went through them and used those as a starting base. And then we customized it. And in fact, I brought all of the entire process into one single process that we call kind of the automation C. O. E. way. And mm-hmm. so if anyone is interested in any step in the process, they can refer to the word document, which actually goes through it in, in detail, or they can refer to our project plan, which has about 147 tasks or some, I think that's, that was last count for every automation. And so they can go through super, you know, depending on what type of audience you have, they can review the word document or the PowerPoint in our project file. And see, mm-hmm. hey, what's coming up? What should we be tracking against? And so that taking the the ROM, layering it into the project plans, into the process, and then having templates for the business that they can use to present, to collect, to to build awareness, I think is pretty key. And so that that process documentation piece has been a real priority. We've gone almost every two weeks, for, for, we've changed our automation CUE way to actually improve it mm-hmm. and to make it work because not all departments are the same size. Right. So some of them have maybe potentially directors, but some of them might have managers and that are the decision makers. And so I think making sure that you've communicated all those varying levels up and down the organization is pretty, pretty important. And all of the stuff we talked about, the executive sponsorship, the change management and the ROM, none of that's techie, you know, the, mm-hmm. so, you know, <laughs> finding a resources in the, in your team that are for the most part, techie, that also have that kind of business acumen and the the ability to actually work at that level, I think is another success criteria where there's no question having software development experiences is is beneficial. But I think having those super bright people have the ability to actually quickly pick up stuff and kind of think uh, level up also adds a lot of value. Well,
1: that's awesome. I applaud you guys for embracing The robotic operating model is something that's lacking in a lot of automation programs. So that's fantastic. Jesse, where do you see the automation program going next? Uh, The six-month
2: journey in the future, basically between now and April, we plan on freeing up what will be another 35 plus FTE. And so up until now, we've automated 21 FTE. Uh, Mm -hmm. We should double that more in the next. Five, five months, five and a half months, I guess, or so. And then the next focus is really identifying opportunities in Epic. And so in our case, we're a healthcare system, and we use mm-hmm. the same system that every major healthcare provider uses, like Kaiser's and uh, NYHC's and, and of the world. The software called Epic, and Epic basically is an end-to-end uh, solution. And so we will have over 100,000 people using that system. And so intuitively, we have focused up till this point on the corporate areas because it's a known Epic isn't quite yet deployed. I think we have 40 or 50,000 people on it so far. But Mm -hmm. as time progresses, we're getting more and more automations. I think we have six in the hop right now that will interact with Epic. Uh, Page opportunities. Number two, form automation. And so, whether it's one of the two kinds, so you've got either the PDF forms that you want to scan in and trigger an automation, or you have a form that you want to get rid of and digitize Mm -hmm. the form of a web website. And so, we've been doing quite a bit of uh, web development. Uh, to replace that in that input, uh, mm-hmm. and then basically trigger automations. And we're also looking into different IDP solutions. Uh, HS has probably five or six different tools that will scan the text, like OCR on PDFs, but we haven't actually yet found a really successful candidate for scanning the handwriting. And so we're doing some investigation in that area to find a good fit. And then lastly is, uh, you know, continuing to improve our process documentation. So we're, we've, we've got those four new hires approved a couple of weeks ago, which we're going to be ramping up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've already got all of our process and the training guides for those new candidates as they get onboarded, but also kind of continuing to enhance our process documentation is key. We real recently made some, some changes that I I think are really going to have bear a lot of fruit with regard to making sure that the line of business driven but having a little bit of review by the technology teams to make sure that the number one the automation is technically possible number mm-hmm. two when we're going through the technology review making sure that we have the right technology i mean we've got enterprise architects and portfolio architects and service owners it service owners and then we have of course the product owners and and then we have business relationship partners and we have service partners and so like like any organization working with everyone to make sure that this is the right technology for the right job. Uh, and, and in our context, it's not just for the right process, but it's for the right step in the process. Uh, right. You know, it, it's a laborious process. And so working through how we can improve that, number one. Number two, make sure that the right people are engaged when, in our in my case, I've got 100 directors in IT <laughs> that we have to work with, right? right? So that that process needs improvement, which we're working on. So that's a couple of things we're looking at in the future.
1: Great stuff. So, Jesse, one more question for you. What impact is intelligent automation having on the state of healthcare, both at Alberta Health and overall? And what really excites you the most about being in this space?
2: I think that up until now, there hasn't been a great mechanism of of integrating systems and integrating people specific on the system side any system that basically doesn't have an API, doesn't have database connections, which are increasing, not reducing, because we're moving so much data to the cloud. Uh Uh, And uh, you you know, like I just had a call last week about one of our systems. And initially we were thinking, all right, this would be a pretty quick automation. And we found out that it was in the cloud. And then that cloud enterprise system doesn't have a really quick ability to actually interact with our internal systems because it's not that we've got a firewall between it. In fact, we have two Uh or three, frankly. And so, layering in the need for security and the need to actually automate in those systems, I think is going to is driving intelligent automation. Number two, I think the understanding that we've got so many cases where there are people that are doing work that they hate doing and which is not very rewarding, and in case in teams that are actually crazy, the the, the demand is rising. Whether it's through human resources or the need for increased accuracy in our financials, frankly, it's almost every team that you look at, you're there. They're, we're facing that. Mm-hmm. All of them have automation opportunities that can now be realized, not because there's a one new technology, but because we have a whole suite of new technologies that are actually coming on board, whether it's AI is kind of getting better or the robotic process automation technologies or the IDP solutions or the form automation tools. All of these are kind of the, inc- the maturity has, has risen to the point now that the end, they're now being able to be integrated into an end-to-end intelligent automation stack that frankly wasn't here even a year ago. And so I think people are getting excited. We've definitely seen an increase in demand and mm-hmm. that demand is actually driven through the FTE that we freed up. And so we're not just selling vaporware. We're actually able to actually show, you know, make commitments, achieve those commitments within, I like to say kind of that 10 week of effort. But oftentimes it's it's mm-hmm. a few months of uh, of duration because it just takes that much time to kind of go through the process. but The point is that we can quickly show progress. And I think that for a lot of IT departments, that's one thing that they, that isn't very common, like either multi-year investments or we're going to update to this version of Windows in the next two, three years. And so it's usually a multi-year conversation, not a a multi-month conversation.
1: You speak the truth, my friend, (laughs) no doubt about it. Jesse, thank you for being on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and hearing about your team's great results with the automation program there at Alberta Health. You guys are setting a great example for healthcare providers to follow for sure. Thank you for sharing your story and I wish you the very best.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SS&C Blue Prism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.